Hi, welcome to High Heat Stats Podcast number one. It's pretty exciting. Uh, we're sponsored by BaseballReference.com, specifically the BaseballReference.com Play Index. Uh, if you're familiar with High Heat Stats, you'll probably have a sense of what this thing can do. You can basically search pretty much anything, seasons, players, games, pitchers, hitters, just about anything, streaks, whatever going back many, many years. There's a segment in the middle of the show where we're going to give you some examples. And at the end of the show, I'll tell you how you can actually save money on a new subscription if you are a new subscriber to the Play Index. Uh, please do check it out. This would make a really good gift for Father's Day for yourself or maybe for another father you know. So keep it in mind. And thanks very much for listening. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Heat Stats podcast. I'm Andy, founder and editor of HighHeatStats.com, a blog dedicated to baseball and baseball stats. I'd like to welcome in three guys who contribute to High Heat Stats. These guys are all baseball folks in their own right, and I'm really happy to have them here today. We've got Brian O'Connor. Hi, Brian. Hi, Andy. And we've got Dalton Mack. How's it going there, Andy? And we've got Adam Dorowski. How you doing? So... You guys all have uh, your other interests outside of High Heat Stats. Um, Brian, tell us just a little bit about what you do. Sure. I write for a replacement-level baseball blog, replacementlevel.wordpress.com. I'm a Pisces. I like a designated hitter and using FIP and XFIP to evaluate pitchers. <laughs> Excellent. And you, you run replacement-level blog, right? I do. I've been running it for about three years now. Awesome. Dalton, what do you have to say? I've been uh, trying to get a new site up called thethinkingfan.com. I tentatively launched it, you know, back in January. However, uh, unfortunately, my studies got in the way, but this summer I intend to put a little more effort into it. I also have a radio show uh, on 90.3 FM in New Jersey or on thecord.fm online, and that's every Saturday afternoon from noon to 2. It's called DM in the PM. A lot of great tracks. Let's uh, have... You're not Sagittarius, right? You'd be the one after that, I, I am think. The, right? I am uh, the last day of Sagittarius. I'm holding on for dear life. There, there you go. I thought so. And Adam, tell us about what you're doing. Uh, so so my, my baby is the Hall of Stats, uh, hallofstats.com. That's a, an alternate Hall of Fame uh, populated by a mathematical formula called Hall Rating. So basically it's built on baseball references, war, and wins above average figures. And uh, I'm the guy that's kind of obsessed with uh, players like uh, Deacon White and Bill Dolan and Jack Lascock. Awesome. Um, people who follow me on Twitter will know that I love Hall of Stats, and I, 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 I tend to think that it's going to be – helping us really rewrite how we evaluate players down the road. I think the work you're doing there is amazing, and uh, glad to have all three of you guys here. So 
this is the first episode of this podcast. I don't really know yet, um, you know, how many more we'll be doing and with what frequency. I'd like to do more, but uh, it depends on sort of how this goes and everybody's availability. Uh, one guy who's not with us here today live right now is Dan McCloskey. He's another contributor to um, High Heat Stats, but Dan has sent in his own little take on walks and uh, some of the comments about Joey Votto recently, and I'll stick that in in its own segment later on. But hopefully we'll all be bringing you more down the road. Um, in general, what we're going to try to do today is just talk about baseball and baseball stats, try to bring up some interesting stuff, maybe teach you something, you the listener, that you don't already know. Um, very quickly, we're going to start off with just a brief discussion about some of the things we're seeing in 2013 so far in the season. In uh, the second segment, we're going to do a little bit of a breakdown of baseball references play index and some of the cool stats that we can get from there. Uh, third segment, we're going to talk about the stuff with Eric Wedge recently and his comments about sabermetrics and, and Dustin Ackley and sabermetricians in general, kind of have a free-form discussion about that. And at the tail end of the show, uh, we're going to have a little bit of a trivia quiz. So... Um, Without further delay, let's uh, hop on the 2013 season. I, I wanted to kick things off uh, picking up a little bit on some of the stuff that I published in USA Today a few weeks back about what's going on this season and the very strange uh, offensive trends that we're seeing. It's pretty interesting. If you look at the 2013 season and go back – 25 years ago and compared to the 1988 season, there are some strong similarities and there are some strong differences. Um, 1988 was kind of a strange year because it was coming off of the 1987 year when the ball was juiced or there was something weird going on and everybody was hitting homers like crazy. And actually, we're, we're going to come back to that in the trivia quiz down the road. Um, but 1988 was the year of the balk, and, and pitching really took a leap forward, and offense took a leap backwards. Um, and if you look at things like the average league-wide batting average, it you know, could fluctuate up and down, but there was 254 in 1988, 253 so far this year. On-base percentage is 318 on the button both years. Um, and... Typically, when you find two years like that where your batting average and your on-base percentage match, pretty much everything else matches. Uh, but it's where the similarity ends uh, for these two years. The slugging percentage is uh, 403 this year compared to just 378 in 1988, which is very, very low. And as a result, run scoring is up just a little bit. It's up uh, about 3%. 4.26 runs this year, 4.14 in 1988. And who knows what the big reason is why run scoring is up if the batting average is the same. It's home runs, um, and it's also doubles. Home runs are up 34% this year compared to 1988. 1.02 per game this year, 0.76 per game that year, and of course that's per team per game. Uh, stolen bases are down. Walks are down. 
strikeouts, of course, are way up. They're also up about the same amount as home runs, up 36%. So I think what we're seeing uh, is a game where batters are swinging a lot harder and swinging a lot more freely. They're getting about the same batting average, but more of those balls are going out of the park. Singles, incidentally, are down 7%. Triples are down 20%. But doubles and home runs are both up big. And so same number of uh, balls falling in for hits or going over the fence for hits, but, but just a higher ratio of those going for extra bases. Um, total bases per game up 7%. It's crazy to me, and it, and it may not seem like a big deal, but it indicates a real change in the approach that the batters are taking at the plate. Um, anybody else have anything you want to say about that? Chime in yeah, with your own opinion. This is Brian. Um, in addition to the uh, approach the batters are taking, I think the, the ballpark dimensions have a lot to do with that. You mentioned, Andy, that the strikeouts per nine and home runs per nine increased by the same amount. I think the, there are a lot of factors that go into the kind of evolution of the strikeout environment, which has really been uh, increasing forever and peaking this year. Home runs, of course, peaked in 99, 2000, and then they just haven't plateaued, or maybe they have plateaued, they haven't dropped off that much. I think the difference between 88 and 2013, to me, is there are a lot of smaller ballparks out there which would account for the decrease in triples and the increase in home runs. Definitely. Um, I, I think that's definitely true. Um, it's definitely a major contributor, but I also think that the batter's approach is a big segment of it as well. Um, anybody else want to add to that or move on to something else? I, I think this is – what's interesting is there's a few strategic things that you can see happening here as well. While walks are actually down a little bit from 1988, which, which surprised me to see, but, you know, everybody's trying to take walks now, so pitchers are trying to, to stop those even more. But, like, intentional walks are down ridiculously. They're, like – from 0.33 per game down to 0.2. So you can see how that, that kind of shift where the, the manager said, wait a second, intentional walks are dumb. Let's not do that anymore. Right. If you, if you ignore Barry Bonds, they've been dropping pretty much steadily uh, all along. There was a huge spike there towards the end of his career when it was just insane. He was getting more intentional walks in a year than most other batters were getting total walks. Right. Uh, but ignoring him – They've been dropping pretty much steadily, and, and I, I think you're right. That has to do with the manager's way of thinking um, and the pitcher's way of thinking. Yeah, stolen bases are also down, but caught stealing is also way down as well. Uh, I, I saw today, I forget where, but where the stolen bases are being far more efficient than they have been in the past. They're not stealing as I, much, I, but it's much more efficient. Are you joking that you don't know where you saw that? Dalton just wrote that in <laughs> USA Today, uh, just published yesterday. Oh, my God, that, um, is, that is exactly where I saw that. Dalton, why don't you get a man? So Dalton, pick that up, Dalton. You tell me what I already know. But oh, um, yeah, but with like what you were saying, Adam, just a lot of the things, managerial related decisions, you know, moves like intentional walks, sacrifices, both are down. Which I think, you know, and and I know we'll get to this later. Role of sabermetrics in the game, we're seeing that these guys are, I guess, putting a little bit of value in the metrics and the numbers because those have been shown not to necessarily be the most effective moves. And as for strikeout rate, and this has been something that you know, I had I'd never brought up in any of the High Heat Stats posts, but before the 2010 season, uh, there was a rule change 
that reduced the maximum bat diameter from 2.75 inches to 2.61. And I think in 2009, we had about a 6.9 strikeout per nine, and we're up to you know about 7.5, 7.6 now. It's been steadily increasing. Huge jump between uh, 2011 and 2012. But you got to think that that rule change has to have some sort of effect on that. I never even knew that. I did not that's, either. Uh, that's unbelievable. I can't believe that hasn't been a bigger story. Um, I think that's uh, something definitely worth looking into and, and writing something about, whether for high heat stats or otherwise. Yeah, I mean, um, look at the league OPS and total bases per game between 2009 and 2010. That would be a great explanation if that did indeed happen. I had no idea. I remember uh, yeah. reading, I think it was possibly on uh, Bill James online, something about that right, uh, a year after it happened or so. But I remember it just getting very little publicity at the time. But, uh, you know, just from what I've been reading, it, it seems like that was, in fact, a, a big one of the main changes uh, for the 2010 Major League season. It's, it's very interesting. Um, bat speed, you know, in theory would be going up, but... Uh, Velocity on contact for guys who are going smaller bats is going to go down, obviously, just from a basic uh, F equals MA kind of analysis. It's fascinating. And contact rate is uh, going to go down, too, which I think we've seen. Sorry, say that again. I think I talked over you. And contact rate is going to go down, too, with smaller bats, and I think we've seen that. Right. Anything else on 2013 season, this this subject or a different one? Yeah, there's one more comparison between 2013 and 1988 that I, I can't explain because pretty much everything that you look at that has a massive change, you can kind of come up with a reason why it has changed. But why are there so many more hit batsmen? We went, mm. went from .22 per game to .32 per game. That's kind of a pretty big jump. Um, I'm just looking at it now. Yeah, so it between 88 and 2013, so it was really low throughout the early 80s, and then it started to creep up, and then it spiked in the steroids era, right? It looks like there's a maximum around 2001 to 2004, and then it's been falling off again. I know, since then. which makes me think that hit-by-pitches just follow home runs. Is it really, are they really that tied together? Could, could be the uh, could be the roid rage. You never know, but it's definitely. <laughs> it could be body type too, right? A, a bigger hitter is going to have a harder time getting out of the way of pitches. There are a lot of big hitters in the steroid era. Yeah, that's true. And I also wonder if it's it's probably not, but you know, during those high offense periods, a lot of people were saying that there were sort of more marginal pitchers in the league. Um, and if that's the case, if the control wasn't as good, I don't know. It's hard hard to explain. Um, but I, I would doubt that it's, just as you said, Adam, I would doubt that it's tied only to you know, retaliation. Although it looks like it from the numbers. Yeah, I mean, as soon as Pedro left the league, the hit-by-pitches went way down, right? So Actually, yeah. Um, maybe it's also a Barry Bonds effect, right? I mean, why walk him if you can hit him? It's all about the pitch count. over the plate. Yeah. All right, so anything else, or shall we move on? Uh, just something brief. I was looking uh, for 
those of you out there, I'm a big Rays fan, uh, so, you know, 10 years of mild depression. And I've noticed, I looked at the roster, I looked at the stats for their pitchers, and not one uh, has thrown a complete game this year, which I found fairly interesting. And I've, you know, looked at the year-by-year pitching averages, and it seems that 2013, uh, it only goes to two decimal places, but it seems that 2013 and 2007, I believe, had the lowest numbers for uh, complete games, I guess, as a fraction of a team's total games. What's behind that, I'm not entirely sure. I mean, they've been going down for years. I mean, you know, the beginning of the game, everyone was throwing complete games. But, you know, it's, it's interesting that it went up a bit in, uh, you know, you saw 2011 had far more than 13, but just a minor tidbit there. Yeah, I mean, there are... In the American League, at the time that we're recording this, through yesterday, there have been only 18 complete games in the entire American League. So that's just a little more than one per team. And, and the Rays are one of just six teams without a complete game, the others being the Orioles, the Astros, the Twins, the Rangers, and the Blue Jays. So I don't think it's specific to that team by any means. But the interesting thing is, as Pitching has come back in the last several years. We've seen offensive levels go sort of down, 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 generally a pretty much decreasing trend over the last few years. Complete games have not really come back, and that's because even though the the run scoring is going more back to the way it was, let's say, in the 80s, the bullpens are still carrying 12, 13 pitchers per team because it's proving to be effective and managers seem very reluctant to leave guys in for a complete game. There's so much more sensitivity to pitch count, whether appropriately or not. Um, I think that that's what we're seeing. So that if you were to compare, I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but I bet if you went back and compared pitching in 2013 to 88, you'd see a lot more complete games in 88 than you'd see now for sure, even though the years are otherwise sort of fairly similar in terms of offensive levels. I can give you an answer there. Andy, there were uh, 0.15 complete games for every game in 1988. It's down to 0.02 today. So yeah, that's right. awfully big, uh, awfully big difference. I mean, 0.02 is like practically in the noise. As you guys know, this podcast is sponsored by the BaseballReference.com Play Index, and if you uh, hang around to the end, you folks can hear a special offer available if you want to subscribe to the Play Index. Um, But we thought we would take a little bit of time to tell you about some of the cool things you can do with it, but not bore you so much by actually making them interesting baseball stats. Uh, So just to give you a sense of what you can do with the Play Index, but, but... try to actually make it more about the stats. So I did um, an interesting search using one of the new features that uh, was added to the play index quite recently during this past offseason. Split finders were added. So you can search a split for individual players, for individual teams, for leagues, for individual seasons or summed over seasons. You can do pretty much anything. And you can also display the results in lots of different ways. You can, for example, just look for players with the most home runs on the road, period. 
or you could look for teams with the most home runs on the road. Or you can have it displayed as a percentage of total or even a difference between, let's say, in that case, you know, road and home. Um, so it's pretty it's pretty handy way to get some really interesting leaderboards. So I worked up, um, I looked at the last 50 years, and I looked at, so going back to 1963, only players who, his entire, their entire careers um, are, are in that period from 1963 forward. Uh, and I looked at who has the most home runs, uh, again, as a percentage of their total at home, and on the road uh, for a minimum of 200 career homers. So I'm just curious, you guys have any names you would throw out there as a guess? Uh, minimum 200 career homers, who has the highest fraction at home in the last 50 years? You including think, active uh, players? I'd have to uh, you know, guess. Uh, like one of them Rockies from uh, the late 90s, got maybe a Dante Bichette type. Um, number three. Now, Adam, answering your question, yes, uh, active players are included, although looking at the top ten, uh, I only see two actives on the top ten. I was going to throw but Todd yes. Elton out there. Yes, number five. What's Sammy Sosa? Uh, Sammy Sosa does not show up on here, and I think that's probably because, you know, he played in Texas and he played in the, in the for the White Sox, and, you know, he had a bunch of years in other places. Um but you are on to something there. Ron Santo was a player who would show up on this list if I didn't have that, that cut off at 63. And Ryan Sandberg comes in at number 12. He's not in the top 10. Um, so you are right in thinking about Wrigley Field. Uh, anybody else want to throw out Jim, a guess? I was going to say Jim Rice, too, yeah. Jim Rice is another guy who comes up high. He's not in the top 15, but I did see him, uh, I did see him up high. Um, but some of the other ones we've got are Matt Holliday, so same mm. same uh, bucket there as Helton and, and Bichette since he obviously played in Colorado for a while. Number one is Bob Horner. Interesting. Uh, oh, yeah. Because he had so many – he didn't have that many home runs. He only had 218 uh, total home runs, but he had a lot of them in Atlanta when it was a launching pad, and uh, he gets on there. Most of them number two, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's you know, it's not insignificant. He had 142 of his 218 home runs at home. That's 65.1%, and and he does have those four um, that came in that one game. Uh, the interesting thing, though, is we got a couple of guys on here who have played a lot uh, for the White Sox. So Paul Konerko is in at number nine, 59.3%. Frank Thomas is in at number six, 59.9%. And I think that there's a dual effect going on there of New Comiskey um, being a pretty good park for homers, but also these guys play a lot of games in Comerica, in Detroit, mm. uh, which is a way and is not a good park for homers. And so I think that tends to push up their home percentage. Um Rico Petroselli comes in at four. Rico Cardi comes in at two. I think getting two Ricos in the top four is pretty cool. And uh, Lou Whitaker actually comes in at seven. So I think probably benefiting from playing at Tiger Stadium as b before they switched to the new stadium. Number ten's an interesting one, Don Mattingly. Huh. Uh, and that's, of course, because he's a left-handed hitter with that short right field porch. And uh, he had a lot of his home runs as uh, pulls right into the corner there in the 
Yankee Stadium Phase 2 when he was there. So moving on to most home runs away, um, again, otherwise the same criteria, 200 total home runs in the career and uh, all their career played in the last 50 years. And incidentally, all these stats – these limitations of 200 career home runs total, the years, all the rest of that. It's all stuff you can put in the split finder so you can choose whatever era you want to look at. You can look at just the last few years. You can look at all of baseball history as far back as the split data is available, whatever you want to do. Uh, who wants to take a guess? Most home runs on the road percentage-wise. How about Pedro Guerrero? Awesome. Number three. That was excellent. All right, and, of course, Dodger Stadium – was a was a poor hitter's park, uh, especially for the years that he was there. Um, number one is uh, similar along those lines. Steve Garvey? No, it's not Steve Garvey, but it's Adrian Gonzalez, right? So he was playing at Petco, uh, which especially early on was such a poor, such a poor hitter's park. Uh, a few other guys who slot in here. So Tim Wallach uh, is oh, number yeah. two. Um. George Brett, number four. Uh, Brett had 181 of his 317 home runs, came on the road, 57.1%. Jason Bay, Justin Morneau, Larry Parrish, Luis Gonzalez, Jose Guillen, and Mike Cameron rounded out. I, I I did total number of home runs over this entire time period, so I ran this to a couple days ago right before recording. And check this out. 95,111 home runs at home have been hit in total in the last 50 years. 95,111. On the road, it's 95,003. So those numbers are extremely close. 50.03% have been hit at home. But the thing you have to remember is that home teams often don't bat in the ninth mm-hmm. inning. Yeah. Um, you know, roughly half the time they don't bat in the ninth inning if they're leading they don't bat. So if you work it out, home teams have had only 49.1% of all plate appearances. Road teams get, you know, just you know, 50.9% of uh, plate appearances. So if you work it out, home teams are homering in 2.39% of their plate appearances, away teams in 2.30% of their plate appearances. And the bottom line is home teams hit home runs 3.9% more often than visiting teams. I've always been of the feeling that home teams are a little bit more comfortable sleeping in their own beds, not traveling, you know, having just arrived on a plane often, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, that seems to be borne out in the fact that they are hitting more home runs when you normalize uh, for the rate in uh, plate appearances. So all of that data I all got from the split finder, and it actually, believe it or not, it took me about three minutes to get all that data. So that's just a an example of one of the cool things you can do with the play index. Who has something else they want to share? Sure. Um, I am fascinated, as I think maybe we all are, by Mike Trout's 2012, which is a pretty historic season. Um, not to beat a dead horse, but I think a lot of the – uh, momentum around Miguel Cabrera's winning the AL MVP had to do with his winning the Triple Crown, which is really just three offensive stats that measure similar, if not the exact same things, whereas Trout, of course, was more versatile. Um, 
I used baseball references, batting runs, base running runs, and fielding runs as the three measures of kind of the, the player's overall body of work. Uh, I wanted to see if anyone could compare to what Trout did last year. Trout had 54 batting runs, 10 base running runs, and 21 fielding runs. So all of that accumulates to 10.9 war, which was uh, one of the best seasons in recent memory. Um, so I did a search, a uh, single season total search for players who had at least 50 batting runs, 10 base running runs, and 20 fielding runs. And of course, Trout was the only one. I backed that up a little bit um, to 40 batting runs, still only Trout. And I think a lot of that, of course, had to do with his amazing fielding last year and all the, the home runs he robbed. Um, so I, I tried 50, home, 50, excuse me, 50 batting runs, 10 base running runs, and 10 fielding runs. And it returned Trout and Joe Morgan in 1975. Um, scale it back to 40, 10, and 10, and you, you add Ricky Henderson in 1985. So you, you can just get a feeling for the type of player that we can compare uh, Trout's 2012 to. Uh, and the, the last search uh, in that vein that I did was uh, for 50 batting runs, eight base running runs, and eight fielding runs, just to try to get a few more names into the sample. Bonds, Trout, Yount, Mays, Morgan, and Benny Kauf from the Federal League in 1914. And of all the seasons... Only uh, Morgan's war of 11 tops Trout's 10.9. Adam, oh, you, you've just made Adam's day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're just going to have me chime in on a Benny Kauf reference there. What's What's really interesting, too, is that the hardest of the three numbers that he did by far is the 10 base running runs. That has only been done 57 times. I am glad you said that. That is a segue because I kept going. Yes. Um, I, so I tried eliminating the base running component uh, to see who had 50 batting runs and 20 fielding runs. And you're right. A few more names got added. Mays, Adrian Beltre in 2004, Yaz in the Impossible Dream season, uh, Ripken in 91, Pujols in 07, and Lou Boudreau in uh, 48. Um, then I put base running back in, looked for 50 batting runs, and 10 base running runs without the fielding component. Just Morgan twice, Ty Cobb in 1911, and and then I eliminated the batting component and just looked for the players with 20 fielding runs and 10 base running runs. And it turns out Ricky did it in 89, Willie Wilson did it twice, might have added a third if not for the strike in 81. Uh, and Eddie Collins did it in 2010. So, uh, Adam, you're, you're absolutely right that, that those 10 base running runs are the rarest of the accomplishments in a pretty rare season for Trout. And just, just to kind of wrap things up, for those of you who uh, maybe don't trust batting runs, we're not ready for war, uh, I just looked at the power and speed combination. Um, the only players ever to hit 30 home runs and steal 49 bases in a season, which Trout did last year, are Barry Bonds in 90 and Eric Davis in 87. And even if we scale that back to 25 homers and 45 stolen bases, it returns 15 seasons by 10 different players. So, you know, you get Ricky again, Cesar Cedeno, uh, Joe Morgan, both Bonds, Eric Davis, uh, A-Rod did it. 
uh, Ryan Sandberg and Hanley Ramirez. So really any way you, you slice it up, an extremely rare season for Mike Trout in 2012. And, you know, I, I don't think he'll ever do it again. And I think he could be a, a first ballot Hall of Famer and still never recreate what he did in 2012. You know, it's fascinating as you're going through all those seasons. You're naming, obviously, these things that just stick out as some of the greatest seasons in history. Um, certainly Joe Morgan in 75 and 76, he probably posted the two best all-around seasons we've ever seen. I mean, they're, they're, those are just insane, incredible seasons. But you also early on mentioned Ricky Henderson's 1985, which is a season that is often overlooked. He led the league in runs scored. He led the league in stolen bases, but he had only 80, um, which was down from you know where he had been with Oakland in the very early 80s. But that's his best season by wins above replacement, 85. And that wasn't an MVP season. year, right? Um, so his MVP year was um, 90, uh, which is also at you know they're both here called 9.9 .9 wins above replacement on Baseball Reference, um, but. People forget his 85 season. He was looked at as a disappointment, um, especially because the Yankees only finished second, and he was, you know, he'd come as a, he'd come over there from Oakland. That was his first year there, but uh, that was one of his, you know, absolute very best seasons. And so it's interesting that it came out very much at the top of your analysis. It wasn't the team that cost him because Mattingly won the MVP that year. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I guess I guess that was the year that. Uh, he and Winfield, Mattingly and Winfield, both had such high batting averages right at the end of the season, right? So there just wasn't much focus on on uh, Henderson. What really stood out to me in that whole thing was I have really just been trying to think of a season that Mike Trout's year reminds me of. And you mentioned a name. And as soon as you said that name, I thought, oh, that's it. So this this was a year that was, that was by a center fielder. It was not a full year. He had incredible power, incredible speed, and it turns out that year he graded out his incredible defense, too, although that doesn't really hold for his entire career. And that's the 1987 season by Eric Davis. Really similar, and although a little bit less in every category, but 40 batting runs, 11 base running runs, and 8 uh, fielding runs, 7.9 war. He did it in 129 games. He didn't miss the beginning of the season like Trout did. But it's a 37 home run, 50 steal season. Just a lot of similarities. He walked a ton. He hit for power, hit for speed, uh, ran for speed. Just I found it a kind of similar year. I'm surprised in a lot of those searches you did, Brian, that Mays did not come up more frequently because he'd be the guy, you know, if, if anyone uh, that I would think would record seasons like that, like uh, 40 or 50 uh, batting runs with 10 fielding or 10. Uh, base running, but then again, I, you know, you pointed out how infrequent uh, a season with ten plus base running runs is. Right, it was the base running that kept him off. I, I did actually go all the way down to fifty-five and five, uh, five base running runs and five fielding runs, and Mays was the only player to show up three times on that list. Uh, Mantle showed up twice. That adds Larry Walker, uh, Robin Yount, um, George Brecketts in there, Rod Grew. So. Yeah, I mean, certainly you can tailor a search, a lot of different searches, to have Mays show up more than anybody else. But it does speak to Trout's all-around greatness that Mays never had a 50-10-10 season. Yeah, he had a 54-8-15 season. That was about the closest. 
That's good stuff. Um, let's jump forward. Uh, one of you other guys have something you prepared for this? You people are like me. Uh, you tend to focus on just just the, min- the minutia, the absolute minutia. For me, this was Luis Castillo's 2000 season. Now, Luis Castillo, the lasting memory of him, for I'm sure a lot of people, especially uh, in the New York area, was the botched uh, pop-up hit by A-Rod in, in his last season. However, Luis Castillo's 2000 season for the Marlins, by far his best season, in terms of hitting at least, uh, he registered uh, 4.5 war for the year, 21 batting runs, which actually equals the total of his top two other seasons, uh, where he had 11 and 10, those being in 2003 and 2005. But the thing that stuck out to me about this season was the huge disparity between his runs scored and his runs batted in. You know, he's a leadoff hitter, so naturally he's far more likely to have more runs scored than runs batted in. However, in this season, he had only 17 RBIs compared with 101 runs scored. So, you know, tack on one more run, and that's a 6-to-1 ratio there. So, you know, checked out to see if that had ever happened before, a 6-to-1 season, uh, you know, post-1901. It happened once with, uh, I'd say a household name, but possibly only for Adam, Goat Anderson on the uh, 1907 Pittsburgh squad had 12 RBIs and 73 runs, only batted 206. Now, Castillo had a fine year, hit 334. So you think high batting average, um, you know, you're bound to have people on base occasionally, right? His eight and nine hitters did not do all that poorly. What's happening here is that he was horrendous with men on base in 2000. With no one on, he hit 380 for the season, uh, on base of 459, uh, OPS uh, 906. With men on, he hit 217 with a slugging of 237. Uh, really an unbelievable stat there. And looking at his career totals, you know, 299 batting average versus 275, uh, you know, bases empty versus men on, which is certainly a significant disparity. But when you take away that 2000 season, those are a lot closer. Just, I don't, personally, I, I found it to be very, uh, very interesting. Also, another one of the play index searches. I looked for seasons from 1901 to the present where hits, uh, total hits were more than 10 times RBI, and the only season, aside from Luis Castillo in 2000, was Enzo Hernandez in 1971, who, while qualifying for the batting title, only 12 RBIs. But again, a 222 average, not a good season. Castillo, mm. a fine, fine season, and yet, you know, another reason that we should not, you know, focus solely uh on RBI. Hopefully there are not many people out there who still, you know, go by the almighty RBI. But then again, you know, if, if you do, you, you're looking at Mike Sweeney as one of the, you know, having the best seasons in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, put up 144 RBIs one year. That's, you know, all well and good, but, you know, it's not exactly the guy you think of for uh, top seasons in that era. I have to jump in here and get get a get a tally on this issue. If you have more than one RBI, is it RBIs or RBI? Dalton said RBIs. I shy away from that. I I, I agree with you. I, I actually, yeah, thinking about it a bit more, 
I, I would say RBI. I would I would rather hear RSBI. I was going to say RSBI as well. <laughs> Adam, do you, you want to round out your vote there? No? We lose you? Adam, come back to us. Oh, I was muted because I was typing. Oh, <laughs> here I am. I was yelling. I'm like, guys, you got to call it Ribbies. Oh. But, um, but, yeah, RBI is what I typically go with on the rare occasion that I mention RBI because I'm such a stat geek. And the uh, the last little bit, and this one's mostly for Adam, uh, to point out with Luis Castillo's season, is the lowest uh, RBI total for a 4.5 war or greater season. Number two on that list with 22 RBIs, the 1884 season for Jack Glasscock. Hell I, yeah. Have we now had two Jack Glasscock mentions in this podcast already? That's that's amazing. And you just said RBIs again, by the way. Good good <laughs> luck on those finals there, Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> that's good stuff. Uh, Castillo was a weird player. I mean, his numbers were just so strange. He he sort of reminds me of Pete Rose, not so much in his specific breakdown of his game, but just that he's, like, so different from all the other players. Uh, you know, Pete Rose just did not fit any mold of anybody else, and uh, neither does Castillo. Um, just a strange, strange player. I have one more minor thing, if uh, you'll indulge me. Yeah, sorry to jump in on you there. Oh. Oh, no, that's totally fine. CC Sabathia uh, yesterday threw a complete game, uh, nine innings, four earned runs. Now, you know, looking at that, it's an uncommon line, certainly, for today. First of all, it's a complete game. But rarely do we see guys give up more than three runs and go all nine innings. So I looked from 2000 to the present, guys who have pitched nine or more innings, uh, registering a complete game and having four or more earned runs. And since 2000, it has only happened 38 times. Uh, actually, from 2000 to 2003, uh, 24 times. Since then, 2004 to the present, only 14. None in 2004, 2007, or 2012. And the last guy to do it before CC was CC in uh, May of 2011. So just a minor thing there, but I was... I thought that was a bit interesting. Anybody else thinking of the band Poison right now? No? Oh, for yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I don't, Dalton. I don't understand how you know all these old references. It's uh, it's pretty. I uh, I had the the misfortune of, uh, and I don't want this getting out of seeing Brett Michaels live once. I got free tickets. <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was an experience. Certainly, it was it was not a bad show. Poison's fun, a, a guilty pleasure, if you will. Yeah, I. Uh... I hear you. Uh, so, can I jump in? Yeah, on, absolutely. Uh, on Castillo in 2000. I mean, when Dalton mentioned he was going to talk about Castillo's 2000, I, I took a look at his line that year and noticed that his on-base percentage of 418 was 30 points higher than his slugging percentage. I'm, I'm sure that's happened several times, although it seems a little rare. It takes a lot more walks than extra base hits. Uh, so I just did a quick play index search to see who's had a 418 or higher on base percentage and a 388 or lower slugging percentage. Um, returned 13 results, so not unique, uh, but rare. A couple of Hall of Famers on the list. Richie Ashburn did it. Roger Bresnahan did it. Luke Appling a couple of times. 
uh, Willie Randolph for uh, a Hall of Stature, uh who's done it. Um, still pretty rare. The only person to do it with more than the two homers that Castillo hit in 2000 was Jimmy Sheckard, <laughs> 1911. Yeah, Sheckard's not that far off from the Hall of Stats either. Yeah, that's incredible. He played Castillo played 136 games that year, 17 doubles, three triples, two homers. That's just unbelievable. 22 extra base hits um, is insane. Although for his entire career, 162 games, he only averaged 18 doubles, six triples, and three homers. So he was a little bit off in all three categories, but it's not as if he was uh, <laughs> getting lots of extra base hits in uh, in his other seasons. It's incredible. That's a good find, Dalton. Yeah, yeah, for some reason I'd always, you know, I, I, I may actually end up doing a post about it for those, uh, you know, and maybe make it make it like a series, you know, uh, bizarre seasons. Then again, I write with, you know, about the frequency that Ben Revere puts one in the seats. So, you know, we'll we'll see how that goes. But <laughs> yeah. All right, Adam, you promised us a trip backwards in time. Oh, yeah. So uh, the reason why I use the play index daily is because I am constantly looking at career totals. Uh, you guys, I was very pleased to hear focus more on splits and single seasons, whereas I focus more on the tools that allow you to search for entire careers. And one re- one time that I used that lately was uh, I'm on the uh, Saber 19th Century Committee for uh, the Overlooked Legend Award, and uh, we actually just finished the ballot of the 10 finalists today. And I wrote a short little saber slant uh, for the seven of the 10 uh, nominees who actually played Major League Baseball in a time that we have numbers that we can search. So uh, I just figured I'd talk about, you know, really quickly how I was able to find uh, these numbers through the play index. Now, Ross Barnes, uh, kind of giving away who some of the finalists are, but a guy like Ross Barnes is a finalist every year. In fact, I would probably think that he would win it this year. We'll see. So uh, Ross Barnes uh, was a monster in the very first major league, the one that uh, some don't consider a major league. It's the National Association from uh, 1871 to 1875, and he led that league in essentially everything and in many cases by a lot. So I was able to use the league filter, which uh, they have on the play index, to search just the National Association so I could write up where he uh, ranks in each category. Now, uh, Bob Carruthers is one that's always interesting to search for because you got to do two separate play index searches for him. Um, and you have to search as a pitcher and as a hitter because he's one of three players in history to have 16 war as each, um, the others being uh, Babe Ruth, of course, and uh, John Montgomery Ward. So, uh, unfortunately, the play index, is, as far as I can tell, does not allow you to wait, search. Wait, 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 wait. No Brooks Kieschnick? <laughs> yeah, not quite. Not sorry, quite. sorry, carry on. Yeah, you can't search the combined war totals yet. Uh, maybe that'll come down the line, but that'll be, be interesting to see. Uh, those totals together. Uh, now, just to go back to uh, our friend, uh, Pebbly Jack Glasscock, um, I've done a lot of writing about him because he is the last remaining 19th century 
player, well, complete 19th century player, that I believe really should be in the Hall of Fame for his playing, not like for contributions to starting the game or anything. Um, I consider Bill Dolan kind of 19th and 20th century. But it's very useful to filter by year so I can get just the 19th century range, and then I can look at things like the war components, which is another thing that, that you guys already touched on that I love to search on. So you can see that among uh, 19th century shortstops, Glasscock is second in uh, war batting runs, just behind Huey Jennings. And he's second in the fielding component uh, to Germany Smith. But neither of those guys was any good at the other category. Uh, so Glasscock really stands above the rest. Actually, he's very similar to Bill Dolan, but Bill Dolan did have a lot of 20th century playing time. And uh, one more thing that I'll mention that isn't the play index, but it's something that Baseball Reference provides for free is the daily war downloads. Uh, they allow you to download in CSV everything in history, all of the war uh, calculations that they have. And that's really awesome because that's what I use to power the Hall of Stats. But um, when I was looking at Dummy Hoy, who's another nominee this year, um, of course he's the great uh, deaf player that played early in the 20th century. And I noticed that he played in a lot of leagues and he had a lot of success in each of them. So I used those spreadsheets and did a lot of filtering by league and by war total and found that he's the only player in history to have a two-plus war season in four different major leagues. He did it in the NL, the AL, uh, the AL coming in 1901, uh, the American Association, and the Players League that John Montgomery Ward started in uh, 1890. So nobody else had done that, and I thought that was kind of cool. Very cool. I would like to assure all the listeners that all these mentions of Glasscock are not of my doing, purely by coincidence. Um, I think it's fair to say that Adam clearly loves him some Glasscock. Anyway. Until then, they were purely organic mentions. Yes, until <laughs> that one. I'm the one, I'm the first one to break the, uh, break the mold there. Um, that's all great stuff, and uh, I think we did a nice job there showing some of the uses of the play index and uh, thanks again to baseball reference for sponsoring us and making all of it possible. So Eric Wedge was in the news uh, last week for some comments he made about sabermetrics in reference to Dustin Ackley um, being sent down after he hasn't performed very well at the plate. He had some interesting comments, and, and the ones that I'm interested in are not the ones where he was making some comments about whose basement sabermetricians live in and that sort of thing, um, but picking up in some of the comments he made in the Seattle Times, not in his original interview, but the follow-up where he was clarifying um, after some of the backlash he received, um, he's saying, you know, the comments were taken out of context. He said, this is the quote, we were talking about Ackley. That's not the reason Ackley was having issues at home plate. What I'm talking about is this recent generation of players that has come up in the sabermetrics world. It's something that's out there, and people know how important it is. And Wedge went on and said, what you can't do is play this game with fear. You have to go out there and play, and when you get your first good pitch to take a whack at, you have to take a whack at it. 
People stretch so much getting deeper in counts and drawing walks, it's almost a backward way of looking at it. Um, he went on and said some other interesting things, but that's that's the main section I want to focus on. I think it's very clear to just about everybody that, in general, teams who see more pitches, who take more pitches as batters, um, tend to do better. And I think that the Yankees, uh, in sort of 98 to 2000, in that three-year run where they won all three seasons, really made that apparent to people when guys like, uh, gosh, who wasn't on that team? It was like O'Neal and who, who were the main guys that were really taking all those pitches those years? Like, oh, yeah, Knobloch and Jeter, of course, were the two guys at the top who were uh, doing a lot of it. And uh, Bernie Williams and even Jorge Posada in 2000 walked 107 times. You believe that? Um I think that there's been a lot of attention paid to that, and certainly when you look at it in an average sense, you say, yeah, teams that uh, that take more pitches tend to do better. And one of the beliefs about the Yankees during that period was that it enabled them to get the starter out of the game. And invariably, middle relievers are going to be the worst pitchers you face on another team. And the sooner you can get those guys in the game, the better the chances are at uh, getting some hits and scoring some runs. But I think Wedge's comments have a lot of truth to them in the sense that what is true in an average sense is not necessarily true for individual players. And I remember Tony Gwynn always used to say that uh, in, in each plate appearance, you'll see maybe one really good pitch that you can hit. And if you miss it, you know, he would say if he saw it and he took it or he fouled it off, that then he would be left uh, having to try to poke it to the opposite field or work out a walk or something like that. And I think that what Wedge is getting at here is, you know, you can't let good pitches go by uh, just for the sake of seeing more pitches. And Dan, in his uh, in his solo piece, is talking a little bit about this issue of working out walks versus hits, and and we'll play that after this, after we finish our discussion. But I can kind of see Wedge's point now. Brian, you wrote about this recently, I think. Can you jump in with uh, your thoughts? You know, I did write about it, and I think the context I was looking at then was really Wedge's first comments, where I think he was using the term sabermetrics. Um, really just to talk about on-base percentage, just to talk about walks. I think he was kind of missing the boat on sabermetrics. It sounds like from his follow-up conversation, uh, yeah, there, there may be some validity to what he's saying there. Um, and certainly I think there are players who should be focused on on getting into, working into good counts. And, well, everyone should be focused on, on getting into a good count. But some guys are going to walk more and some guys are going to walk less. I don't think that there are a bunch of sabermetricians around the world right now saying everyone just start walking. Uh, you know, hitting is worth nothing. Uh, you know, the BABIP is all fluky, and we should all just walk and get four walks and score runs that way. Um, where I do think I, I have a comment on what you said, Andy, is that I think the anti-Tony Gwynn might be Manny Ramirez, who – you know, the, as the legend goes, would wait for one pitch for an entire series. He would sit on that pitch. I mean, how many 
how many uh, six pitch plate appearances did Manny strike out or walk in? Um, and had just a hugely successful career. He walked a lot. He hit a lot of home runs. This is a guy who he made patience work for him. Um, Tony Gwynn was a guy that wanted to wanted to take that one pitch every at bat and turn it into a single. Manny might let that fastball go because it's not what he was looking for that day. He'd seen that pitcher. He wanted the right curve and the right spot, and he was going to hit it 500 feet. Yeah, it's a good point, and – the other guy who comes to mind is Mattingly, um, who was famous in the earlier part of his career for taking the first pitch virtually all the time. I think he would look for a very specific pitch at a specific location, and if he didn't get it on that first pitch, he was taking all the time. And, you know, it didn't stop him from hitting. It, you know, he didn't have very high walk totals. Per 162 games, he only walked 53 times, but he also only struck out 40 times. So... Certainly, taking uh, you know taking a lot of pitches didn't lead to a lot more a lot of strikeouts for him. It also didn't lead to a lot of walks. Eventually, he would swing, um, and so maybe that's where the divide is here. Taking, and I think, sorry, go ahead, jump in. Well, I, I think that one trend we're seeing is that uh, plate discipline has been such a focus for the last ten, twelve years now that. Everybody's taking first pitches. Pitchers know that, and they're grooving first pitch fastballs. And some, at some point, there's going to be a, a change of tides here, I think, where people are just going to start going after the first pitch again because everybody starts 0-1. You don't take a pitch just for a walk. You take a pitch to get a 2-0 count, to get a 3-1 count, to get someplace where you know that you're going to get a pitch you can hit. Um, it's not really happening right now. I think we've seen that guys are striking out because guys are not working into the count they need to be in. How that ties back to wedge, I'm not sure, but it's uh, yeah, it's a trend that we've noticed. Well, yeah, I think pitchers find less of a need to nibble now, and if they know hitters are going up there looking for a walk, they're just going to attack them. Yeah. Tell that to Felix Dubron. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or uh, Carlos Marmol. I don't think I don't think That's Felix Dubron is nibbling though. Yeah, they're not nibbling. They're they're throwing, uh, trying to get in there. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting point. And and Brian, you sort of bring up that cat and mouse game of evolution. It's uh, it's always interesting to see how trends change. Um, just to go back to something else you were saying about sort of Wedge's use of the word sabermetrics, I totally agree with you. I think that he was really just thinking about on base percentage, and it just goes to show you that. Although advanced stats have penetrated the game to some degree, they haven't really penetrated it that far. Um, you know, Wedge is a young guy. As managers go, he should have more sort of new school thinking than, you know, let's say Charlie Manuel or, or you know, some of the guys who've been around a little bit longer. And yet I think he's just using that word just to refer to on-base percentage, a, a stat that was, you know, pretty much ignored uh, for just decades and decades. So well, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was, was going to say it's like that other article that was making the rounds uh, earlier in the week or last week or something that you know he was you know talking about sabermetrics, but he was just just talking about pitch counts. It's like that's not sabermetrics. That's addition. That's like yeah. pitch, pitch, pitch. That's. I don't even really like the word sabermetrics, and I don't want to get into a conversation about that. But I just feel like 
it's too general of a word that it's being used too broadly. I, I don't even think of myself as a sabermetrician. I just try to think of myself as trying to take advantage of what smart information and smart people are out there uh, who figured things out that can be useful to help us, you know, develop ideas and trends about what to do. Um, I, I think it's sabermetrics is almost becoming a four-letter word, and that doesn't really mean very much. Anybody want to chime in with anything else on this topic? Yeah, yeah, sure. I remember at the beginning of this season, uh, and I know, Andy, you've tweeted about this a ton. Ruben Amaro uh, in January uh, mentioned when you know, they signed Delman Young, notorious for never walking. I said he didn't care about walks. He only cared about production. That's just a viewpoint that, you know, in 2013 should, at least in my opinion, be one that's almost impossible to understand. The idea that walks and production aren't really one and the same. Now, of course, you know, with a you know guy who's ma- meant to be a power hitter, or at least a guy who will have a decent slugging, you know, you don't want him going up there just looking at every pitch. But walks are a key part of production, and I and I think that's one of the main reasons, as you know, you've mentioned a bunch on Twitter, that the Phillies just aren't doing well. Their team on base percentage is horrendous, and it's just very surprising if some teams coming so far. You know, in adopting sabermetrics and others, you know, like the Phillies, uh, not. But the thing with Wedge that really, you know, stuck out to me was, you know, I mean, he didn't necessarily blame sabermetrics, like you said, mostly on base percentage and the like. But is he, was he saying that Ackley, you know, was thinking about his walks or his, uh, what, what his Babbitt might be, you know, while he's in the on deck circle, while he's at the plate? Or just, you know, is it a general, Thing because I can't imagine that being the reason that a guy would get you know sent down or that would really affect his performance that much. I think what he was saying was that Ackley was waiting for too perfect of a pitch too often, and he was letting so many pitches go by um, because he was trying to be too selective. And you know when you get yourself into bad counts. Uh, and then you you know you're not going to get a good pitch to hit when you're o two one two right it's it's right. sort of uh that's what I think that's what he meant by it's a backwards way of looking at it like it doesn't help you get on base when you're taking good pitches and getting strikes called uh and by the way, just to reaffirm something you said a minute ago, the Phillies are like the most backwards team amaro I don't know what he's thinking he just doesn't seem to have a grasp of of uh you know, offense, as you say, and Charlie Manuel is just awful. I mean, the guy just makes the worst lineups. You know, it, it took him forever to get Jimmy Rollins out of the top spot, despite the fact that Jimmy Rollins is like the most efficient out machine there is. Um, so I totally agree. I think if I can jump on that one, you know, Dalton, you talked about Amaro not being able to tie walks to production. You know, there's just something unsexy about walks. You, you watch somebody in the batting cage, you want to see a swing, you want to see line drives, you want to see home runs. People just don't respond to walks, and they don't understand that walks make a player better. I think what we need on the TV screen when we see uh, batting average home runs and RBI is outs made. If everyone just understood the value of an out. Yeah, that's a good point. On-base percentage would make some sense. It wouldn't just be walks. It wouldn't just be this guy's good because he's passive. Nobody wanted to watch Bobby Abreu or J.D. Drew. But when you see how many outs Ryan Howard makes, you start to understand that you need a different skill set. Did you say how many outs Ryan Howard makes or how many ouches he makes? 
<laughs> yeah, I just it's surprising for me for Amaro. You know, his dad was a player and and played in a much earlier era. I just maybe that's it. Even maybe that plays into it because in his dad's era, I don't think anybody thought about walks at all. It was just something that happened that was a consolation prize. This this ties perfectly in with Dan's commentary, so I think we'll cut it here and go into uh, into Dan's segment. So here's Dan. Hey folks, Dan McCluskey here. In addition to being a contributor to High Heat Stats, I like to identify as the music-obsessed baseball fanatic and craft beer enthusiast from Left Field, which you can find at left-field.blogspot.com. Today I'm going to talk about a subject that there's been a lot of discussion of lately, and that is the value of walks. From questions like, does Joey Votto walk too much, to is Dustin Ackley too concerned with his on-base percentage, it really does seem like the walk is coming under fire this year. And why is that? After all, a walk is as good as a hit, right? I mean, we've all heard these words of encouragement, probably at a Little League game. But are they really true? Well, not exactly. Sure, if your team is down by multiple runs with no runners on in the ninth, yeah, then it's true. But that's just one circumstance. According to the linear weights that make up weighted on-base average, even a single is worth 1.28 times as much as a walk. But do we ever really believe that a walk's as good as a hit it was true anyway? I mean, even eight-year-old me, in my first year of organized ball, understood the message that was being conveyed, and that is, the avoidance of making an out is still a successful at-bat. In fact, in every instance, working a walk increases your team's chance of scoring a run, or multiple runs. On the flip side, with exception, such as in the case of some sacrifice flies, making an out hurts your team's chances of achieving that goal. So why is it so hard for some people to wrap their heads around the idea that walks are valuable? And why do I still sometimes hear the tired old phrase which goes something to the effect of a good hitter succeeds only 30% of the time? Because the last time I checked, a 300 on base percentage definitely falls short of qualifying as good. Perhaps I'm preaching to the choir here, but isn't it time to retire that adage for good? or replace it with something more accurate? Because in my book, and I've been thinking this way since the start of my days playing organized baseball, which incidentally lasted well beyond the age of nine, a walk, while it may not be as good as a hit, is not some sort of little league consolation prize. It's a successful batting outcome that provides value to one's team. Moving on to the trivia quiz section of our podcast. So this is just for fun, and these are questions that I made up myself, researched the answers. Actually, the vast majority of these uh, were researched using the play index, so that, that's not the point of the quiz. And I'm just going to say up front that these kinds of quizzes are not easy. Some, a couple of these questions are pretty darn easy. A couple of them are pretty hard, but it's never easy when you're put on the spot. So... Anybody listening, I encourage you to answer yourself 
take your own tally and then compare it to the tally of our of our three competitors here and i I'd be surprised if many of you can beat uh beat them so just for the the listener's benefit um you'll get the hang of how this works as we go into it, but basically there are nine questions, three rounds. Each of you is going to pick a number, and you're going to get your own question. Um, and you're the only one who can answer that question. Everybody everybody takes turns here. There's no, like, shouting out and trying to be first to jump in. Um, when it is your turn, you can either answer the question, and the question will be worth one point, or you can ask for a hint, and then the question is only worth half a point once I give you the hint. If you choose to answer you can no longer ask for the hint. In other words, your answer will either be right or wrong, and we'll move on. If you get it wrong, it will move to the person who has the fewest points at that time. They'll get a chance to jump in, and they'll get whatever points are left over. If you've already gotten a hint and you get it wrong, they'll get half a point if they get it right, etc. cetera. Um, that's the general, general idea that we're working on here. Um, trying to think if there's anything else I should explain. Oh, and there are partial points. Some of these questions have uh, multiple answers, and um, you'll get partial points if you get some of them right. Um, if I'm asking for multiple answers, please give me the number of answers I'm asking for. Sometimes I say there are three players that fit such and such. Give me three names. You'll get partial points of the ones that are right um, and no points of the ones that are wrong. Okay, so anybody want to go first, or do you want me to pick? Shout out if you really want to go first. <laughs> no? All right, I'll go for it. All right, Adam. So pick a number one through nine. One through nine. Nine. Uh, this is a good one. Only three players with the last name Washington have logged at least 500 games in the major leagues. And all have done it since 1970. Name them. Ron, Claudel. I don't think UL did it. Hmm. All right, I don't want to make us go too long. I'll say UL. You got it, all three. Sweet. There you go. Yeah, that was my fun question. And my hint, by the way, if, if... you asked for a hint, was manager, toothpick, and Ferris Bueller's foul ball. I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys get all those references. but I did much better with the original question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you got it. Uh, Dalton, let's jump to you. Pick a number now, one through eight. Got to go with the number I played with, four. Number four. All right, this is going to be a question that sees how well you've been paying attention to this very podcast. Prior to 1987, only six players ever had a season with 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases. But with the power spike in 1987, four new players reached 30-30 that year alone. Name all four. Hmm. All right. Uh, Well, this one will probably end up showing my age, but that's fine. Let's see. It was well before you were born, so... I get carried away here, but... um... All right, it's eighty-seven. I don't, I don't think that was uh, Canseco's forty-forty year, so I'm not going to go with that. I gotta say, well, we, we mentioned Eric Davis, so you gotta throw him in there. Um, 
I'll tell you that's correct. It was. Yeah. We discussed uh, at length in this very podcast. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that was. Um, let's see. Well, this this one I know, and I know you're a, you're a big fan of this guy. Uh, I'm gonna throw out Joe Carter. You got it. Just for your dad, I put. I put oh, of course, in. yeah. Uh, big Rick will love that, but I'll say strawberry, and for the fourth. Uh, I have no idea. I don't think he did it this year, but I'll say Barry Bonds. Uh, Strawberry is correct. Barry Bonds is not. Um, so you've got three-quarters of a point, and Brian, can you give us the fourth? Howard Johnson? You got it. Excellent. I, I guess I didn't say up front there's obviously no cheating. You guys aren't supposed to be looking on uh, play index. I know you're not. Uh, no. But that was pretty impressive. Uh, Hojo did it twice, right? Didn't Hojo do it again in 89? Um, that could be right. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll look that up real quick if we want the answer on that. For the record, I would not have gotten Joe Carter, Dalton. I'm impressed with that. From from my dad being a big proponent of his to you know the uh, to myself and the Saber community ripping him, I've tried to become familiar with uh, some of his numbers. Adam, you're exactly right. Uh, Howard Johnson had 36 homers and 32 steals in '87. And in 89, he had 36 homers and 41 steals. Yeah. He, oh, you know, he did it He did it three times because in 91 he? 91, he had 38 homers and 30 stolen bases. Holy cow. Three-time 30-30 guy. And then, of course, after the 90, he, uh, he tanked. Yeah, nine, he led the league in homers in what, was it 91, you said? Yes, and RBI. Yeah. And RBI. Uh, he also had a, a 599 Ruben and a night stay for 80 bucks. <laughs> oh my gosh oh my gosh alright um, so Brian uh, it is now your turn proper you can pick any number other than four or nine take number one number one uh, I'm going to give you a list of players and ask you what they have in common and I'm just going to give you the caveat right up front that it is not an exhaustive list I have just picked some examples um, not an exhaustive list what do okay. these players have in common? Rick Wise, Joe Torrey, Kent Merker, Steve Lyons, Mike Witt, Steve Montgomery, and Denny McLean. God. Yeah, this is a hard one. I assume you're not looking for a race. Uh, no. no. <laughs> these are not people who have never been in your kitchen either. <laughs> Uh, Rick Wise was twice, but uh, you you might want to grab the hint on this one if it's not coming to you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me the hint. The hint is it has to do with trades. Maybe you'd like the list again. Sure. Uh, so it has to do with trades. Rick Wise, Joe Torrey, Kent Merker, Steve Lyons, Mike Witt, Steve Montgomery, and Denny McLean. Were they all traded for the same player twice? They were not. So, Dalton, you have three quarters of a point. You can jump in here if you know it to pick up half a point. <sighs> I've, I've really got nothing on this one. Do you want to hear the list again, or, or are you? Uh, sure, sure, yeah. All right, Rick Wise, Joe Torrey, Kent Merker, Steve Lyons, Mike Witt, Steve Montgomery, and Denny McLean. 
I'd say all bankrupted several companies, but that was just McLean. No, and, and I'll just remind you of the hint as well. Uh, has to do with trades. Trades. Yeah. And that's not you just bringing up McLean's finance. That's not a play on words. I do mean a swap of players among yeah. major league teams. They bankrupted several publicly traded companies. <laughs> no, not that kind of trading. Uh, uh, no, no idea. I really uh, don't want to waste time. I have no clue. Adam. Uh, my only guess was that they were traded from a team and then traded back to that team. That is not what we are looking for. Uh, so this was a hard question. They were mm. all traded at one point straight up for a Hall of Famer. Oh, oh. Obviously a future Hall of Famer. So guys, jump in. Rick Wise was traded for Steve Carlton. Nice. Joe Torre was once traded for anybody? Orlando Cepeda, Kent Merker, Eddie Murray. You got it. Steve Lyons. <laughs> terrific. Tom Terrific. I was going to say, yeah, Tom. Mike Witt. Anybody? That wouldn't be Reggie, would it? No. No, no. no. That was, I was just going with the Angels. Dave Winfield. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, Steve Montgomery, tough one. Traded for Dennis Eckersley. And Denny McLean, interestingly, was also traded straight up for Orlando Cepeda. Yeah, you got it. All right, tough one. So after one round, everybody's got points, which is good. Adam's got one, Dalton's got three quarters, and Brian's got one quarter. Um, it's good. No shutouts is good. I've heard a lot of these quizzes that end in shutouts, but no one's getting shut out today. All right, Adam, back to you. Pick any number other than one, four, or nine. Uh, let's go with seven. Oh, you lucky devil. Who is the only player in history to play 300 games at catcher and 300 games at second base? Really? Craig Biggio? Yeah, you got it. <laughs> really? That was okay. the, that's the easiest question on the quiz. Bonus, why was this question number seven? He wore it. You got it. That's not worth <laughs> any points, but, but in our hearts, we, uh, we, we, we put you up another notch. Yeah, that's an easy question. So now we uh, we got all the easy ones out of the way, I think. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Dalton, anything but one, four, seven, or nine? Got to go six. Number six. I think you got a good shot with this one. Let's see. Name the active player currently appearing in his 18th season who posted 0 0.4 wins above replacement before his age 30 season and 20.4 wins above replacement since. Uh, I can repeat that if you like. Sure. Name the active player currently appearing in his 18th season who posted 0 0.4 war before his age 30 season and 20.4 war since. Uh, can I ask if it's a position player or a uh, pitcher? You can ask. I won't answer. Oh, well. <laughs> Okay, before his age what season was that? Before his age 30 season, and that's the baseball reference uh, definition, I think is June 1st. Um, so before the year in which he turned, he was 30 come June 1st, he had uh, 0 0.4 and uh, 20.4 in that season thereafter. And should you want it, there is a hint available. Let me think. I'm trying to think of who's been around even uh, even that long. Um, 18th. 
My first, my first thought is, you know, uh, Darren Oliver. I'm not sure. Um, point four up until age thirty, and twenty point four after. You got it. It should be. This should be easy enough, but I'm trying to. I, I got. I gotta go Oliver. I feel like he's been pitching longer, but I'm just gonna go Darren Oliver. It is not Darren Oliver. Although I will say that is not a bad guess. He's. It's not. But that that number of WAR for a relief pitcher would put him like way up there. Yeah, that's true. Um, so Brian, it goes to you. Uh, would you like to hear the question again? No. And um, you also have the option, by the way, to ask for the hint, which will still then reduce it to half a point. And what's it worth to me if I don't ask for the hint? You, the you get the full point. Yeah, if you can get it. Well, I don't. I don't think he's been active for 18 seasons. But I think the math works out if the answer is R.A. Dickey. That is not correct. Adam, you want to take a stab, and you can ask for the hint, too. I'm going to go with the hint. The hint is he hit three postseason homers last year. Hmm. Well, I should have paid more attention. Uh, let's see. Oh, crap. I got a guy that I actually can't even remember his name. Uh, That's probably not him. Yeah, probably not him. Let's see. Three postseason homers last year. I'm going to have to press you for an answer. All right. All right. Let's just move on. Sorry, I got nothing. Somebody else. I, it's not worth any points anymore, but Brian, it sounded like maybe you had an epiphany there. Marco Scudero? No. No. Raul Ibanez. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I was tweeting about it like crazy the other day, so I thought, Dalton, for some reason, I thought you might have been in on that discussion. Um, the worst part is that was the name I was trying to remember. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, up a notch in our hearts, Adam. Um, so let's see, where are we up to? Brian, you need a second-round question, right? Yeah, I'll take number three. Number three. All right. Among all players in Major League Baseball history to play in at least 1,000 career games... Three are tied with the fewest career hits. Name any one. Wow. This is one you want to think through. They've played in a thousand games. Yeah, I'll read it again. Among all Major League Baseball players to play in at least 1,000 career games, three are tied with the fewest career hits. Name any one. Seems like the key would be whether any relief pitcher has ever made a thousand appearances. I think you're on to it. Are, are you helping your competitor? <laughs> or maybe he's sending you down the wrong path. Adam's like Who that. Would do that. Know? Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. I'm gonna take a hint. Well, the hint's not going to help you very much because the hint is all three are pitchers. Yeah. But at least you're at least you know you're thinking the right way. Well, I've got Bill Bergen off the brain. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going in two different directions here. 
I'm going to say Mike Timlin. Oh, my God. You're right. That is correct. Wow. Awesome, awesome point. I was going to go, uh, if he didn't get it, I was going to go with Mike Stanton. Was he one? Nope. I was no. Stanton was a starter early on, remember? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. I was just trying to think. I I got to say Mo. Yeah. Mariano Rivera. Yeah. The other there you go. Guys, by the way, are tied at zero. Okay. Yeah, I figured as much. I was thinking Cy Young, too, but he must have had some hits. Oh, oh God, yeah. Yeah. When you pitch that many innings in the era before the DH, I think you're going to get a hit or two. Yeah, probably a hundred. Who's typing? Nobody's cheating, right? No, I just want to see how many hits Cy Young had because that was a lot, he had a lot of hits. Uh, Six twenty-three. Jose makes <laughs> at zero hits. Uh Table. There he for is. The games. Uh, very impressive, Brian. I think that was a pretty pretty tough. That was that was impressive. That was much more impressive than Craig Biggio. Yeah. Well, you got the you got the softball, Adam. All right, so through through two, two rounds. rounds, thank you. Adam's got two <laughs> points. Dalton's got three quarters of a point, and Brian's got three quarters of a point. Now it it is not out of reach because if one of you two guys who's not named Adam gets your question and snipes another one, you can uh, you can win this. So Adam, your final question: the choices available are two, five, and eight. I'll go with eight. Number eight, only two players have ever posted a season with more home runs than singles, with a minimum of ten singles. Name them both. Oh, God, name them both. Yeah. And I'll just tell you right now, Jack Glasscock is not one of them. Did Kevin Moss do it? Is that a guess? Are you asking? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Kevin Moss for one. He is not one. Damn it! All right, so I've lost it. Uh, you, I will allow you to give a second answer, and you can still get oh, half a point. Okay. Yeah. The only thing you can't do at this point is ask for the hint. Now that you've started to answer. All right, Ken Phelps. No and no. Damn. Um. So let's see. Can we each get like one shot, or is that like I don't between Brian and myself? Yeah, they're tied. Guys yeah. are tied. Um, one one shot each at half a point or something. Oh wait, that won't work. They could work. I don't know. Oh yeah, th- yeah. Then then they could get their own point. Yeah. All right. We're stats people. We can handle fractions. Yeah. There you go. I'm gonna say let's do that. You each get one guess, and um, so I'm gonna take the hint off the table because I don't want one of you to ha- have the hint and not and not have the hint. Let's not go there. And uh, who got first chance to steal? The first time was it Brian? I did. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say Dalton. You can you can have first shot while there's two answers available. Uh, all right, uh, McGuire. You got it, Mark McGuire uh-huh. and Brian. Can you come up with the other? How about Willie Mopena? <laughs> no. That's not a bad guess, though. I gotta say. No, the other's um, a very obscure player. Um, you might have heard of him, Barry Bonds. Oh, look at that. Yeah, so McGuire did it four times, I believe, um, including 1998, of course, when he was trying to hit home runs, and Bonds did it in 2001 when he was trying to hit home runs. Um, Makes perfect sense. I should have known from the name both that they were big names, but I totally didn't pick up on that. Yeah, they did sound like an impossible question until I heard the answers. Yeah. (laughs) I I don't follow your logic there, Adam, from from the word both. That should have been obvious. You wouldn't have demanded both. 
Yeah, if if it was if it obscure guys, right, we right, maybe fair uh, enough. Fair uh, enough. I think now, Dalton, it is time for your regular turn. You have choices of two and five. I'll go two. Yeah. So just FYI, you are at one and a quarter points. So if you want to overtake Adam, you will need the full uh, one point here. All right. Um, number two, that's what you guessed, right? That's what you picked? Yep. Among all players to play in 2013, the top five of a certain list are one, Todd Helton, two, Jimmy Rollins, three, David Wright, four, Robinson Cano, five, Brian Roberts. What is this list? I'd be happy to repeat that if you would like. Yes, please do. Thanks. Among all players to play in 2013... I guess I should have added the word so far there. I mean, like, to date. Among all players to play in 2013 so far, the top five of a certain list are one, Todd Helton, two, Jimmy Rollins, three, David Wright, four, Robinson Cano, five, Brian Roberts. What is this list? Man. <laughs> I think all three rounds you made that horse noise right after the question. I... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see. Man. I gotta... I mean, with, with, with Wright and Cano, this, you know, isn't really lend much to it. I'm trying to think. I... You said Rollins, right? Yeah. Helton, Rollins, Wright, Cano, Roberts. And those are in order for this list. Alright, well... I wouldn't... I'm not gonna... I, I'm thinking because these guys just, you know, you have some players having great years or pretty good years like Cano, and then you have a guy like Helton who's playing very poorly, at least for him, that I would think it would be maybe, you know, an obscure type stat. Maybe I made like a, I don't know, a hit-by-pitch type thing. I'm not sure. But, man, uh, I, I'll i say outs. I really, really don't know. It is not outs. So, Brian, here's a chance for you. To jump in. Now you still have a question coming. You have at the so, moment you have three quarters of a point, so right, you, you so could take the hint. I would love to take the hint here. The hint is if Derek Jeter does play this year, he'll automatically become number one on the list. Yeah. I, I can read the question again too if you would like. No, I've got I've got on the list. You got five infielders. Four of them play in extreme hitters' parks. Maybe not extreme. Veterans. The Cano less so than the rest. Um, uh, most career hit by pitches. Not correct. Adam, you can put it away. All right, so these are all one franchise guys, and it's down to either hits or home runs with one franchise, I believe. Oh, man. What's the list in order again? Helton, Rollins, Wright, Cano, Roberts. And if gonna... Jeter would be number one if he were, if he were uh, active. All right. Going with hits with one franchise. So you might be right. Um, that is not – that is not – what I searched for. I did games with one franchise, but I'm gonna oh. look, but I'm gonna look it up right now to see how close you are to being correct, um, because that's um, you know 
They're closely tied, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I know that if you went by plate appearances instead of games, uh, Roberts would be ahead of Cano, actually. Um, so I'm doing. I'm just doing this on the PI as we speak. Franchises played fours, one active players, totals for combined seasons, and you said hits. Yes. That would be. Oh my gosh, Jeter, Helton, Rollins, Cano, Wright, and Roberts. I'm getting Very. it to you, man. It's close enough. <laughs> close enough. You certainly were on the right way of thinking. Yeah, for for whatever reason, I was thinking it was just in in 2013. Yeah, yeah, and I and I feel bad about that. It was obvious oh, to me when you were thinking fine. out loud that um, the way that I worded the question may have misled you a little bit. I apologize if that's the case. Um, so good, Adam gets half a point there. So it's it's somewhat academic now, but uh, Brian, you still have uh, question number five coming to you. All right. Eight players, this is, this is kind of a doozy, sorry. Eight players have reached 300 total home runs and 300 total stolen bases. This is obviously a follow-up to the 30-30 question that came earlier. Let me start over. Eight players have reached 300 total home runs and 300 total stolen bases. I'll give you Willie Mays and Barry Bonds. Name the other six. <laughs> All right, Bobby Bonds. Yes. Man, you did all the research on this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think Ricky Henderson. That is not correct. You say not correct? That's not correct, yeah. Okay. But you can give me four more names. Okay. Um, Derek Jeter. No. Of the homers. That's correct. He, oh, sorry. Oh, right. uh, A-Rod is correct. And you are correct that Jeter is shy on homers. He's 45 homers shy of 300. Through, uh, two more names, please. Did Jeff Bagwell have the steals? No way. One more steals than you think. But not nearly that many. Yeah. Let's look it up while Brian thinks of his last guess. I would, but I'd get accused of typing. <laughs> Oh, I've still got names here, buddy. I've I've got names. I'm ready. He has 202 stolen bases. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He was 30-30, man. It does surprise me. That's why Jeff Bagwell is the best player outside the Hall of Fame. All right, maybe Bonds, but whatever. Well, I'd put him in, but that's a discussion for another day. Looking for one more name from you, Mr. O'Connor. All right, so I've got two of the the 40-40 guys on the brain, Canseco and Soriano. My answer is Alfonso Soriano. That is not correct. So, Can I hop in? You can in just a second. Let me just do some uh, keeping here. You get a third of a point. I'm going to have to add a half, a quarter, and a third to find your total. <laughs> Thanks. Yay, yeah. factions. Um, yes, Dalton, jump in. So there are four, yep. there are four uh, answers remaining, so I'll take four names from you. Just to make sure the ones we have are Bonds, Bonds, Mays and A-Rod? Yes. Okay. And, I, and, and saying Bonds Bonds is very nice, by the way. Um, I, I, almost, I almost feel bad about this because it's something that I looked at maybe a week or so ago. But uh, got to go uh, Andre Dawson. Yes. Yeah. Beltron. Yes. Reggie Sanders. Yes. 
and Steve Finley. You got it. Oh, I had all of them I, except I feel for bad. Beltran. I feel bad. I, it was a it was a recent uh, thing I looked at maybe maybe a week ago or so. Yeah, well, I tweet about this particular stat fairly often. Um, so you get two thirds of a point there. So I have some crazy ass fractions to do for you as well. If That's I had looked that up a week ago, Dalton, I would not have remembered that Reggie Sanders. <laughs> yeah, Reggie Sanders really had a deceptively good career, and of course he's forgotten because he moved around. Right? Didn't he play for eight eight teams in eight years at one point? Probably, yeah. Um, the funny thing is, the two that I knew right away were Finley and Sanders because they're the two most obscure to do it. Yeah. Well, those are always the two that I remember as well for the yeah. Team. For the same reason, right? And from the uh, the fairly long piece they did about the Hall of Fame ballot this year, Finley and uh, Sanders were both on it. And I remember, I think, highlighting that. Yeah, you guys keep yeah, talking while I'm doing yeah. fractions. <laughs> Just convert to decimals, dude. Congrats to both of you guys for destroying me. Oh, all right, eleven twelfths. So I hope we do this again, and I can break the one point barrier. You would Matt, crush us. You'd crush you know, us on horse. Since Adam and I finished ahead, can can you accept that the Benz might be better than OK Computer? No, absolutely not. Oh, the <laughs> Benz is the best album Radiohead's ever made. I love it. I don't like they very made other much albums. Of, I don't really like much of their other stuff, to be honest. The Benz is a great album. Yes, it is. No, so Brian, you have one and one twelfth points. <laughs> And I missed the math. <laughs> no, this can't be right. Oh, yeah, it can be right because the total points don't add up to nine because we had some clues. So so you have one and one twelfth points. Dalton has one and eleven twelfth points. And Adam is two and a half. So that's actually a really good showing, guys. Uh, I'm glad that you guys all got multiple answers correct. And uh, I'm pretty darn impressed with your performance. Um, so I would love to hear feedback from you guys and from the listeners on that trivia quiz and if they like to see a different format or whatever. But uh, that's something I'd like to do again in the future. That's a good one. And with that, I think we're going to wrap. Anybody have anything else you want to add? Thanks for having us. It was fun. Yeah, absolutely. This was, yeah. this was wonderful. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Andy. All right, there you have it. Episode one of the High Heat Stats podcast. I have a couple more things I want to tell you, but stick around to the end to hear some bloopers and outtakes from the recording session. Uh, trust me, you do not want to miss this. Uh, first of all, here's how you can find the folks you heard today. You can follow me on Twitter at High Heat Stats. That's at High Heat Stats. I tweet a lot of stats about current games and players and seasons from the past, plus... All of the posts that go on highheatstats.com get tweeted out the moment they're posted, so you can grab the link and go check out the new post. Uh, I definitely recommend that you check out the blog itself. It contains articles from the folks you heard today and numerous other great authors that we have, and even once in a while from me. You can follow Brian on Twitter at RepLevel, that's R-E-P level, and you can find his blog, I think he already mentioned it, at replacementlevel.blogspot.com. You can follow Dalton on Twitter at dmac1291. That's dmac1291. And the site he mentioned is thethinkingfan.com. He hasn't been able to get that going quite yet, 
but I expect that he will later on this year, so you might want to keep an eye on that. You can follow Adam on Twitter at Baseball Twit, which is kind of a funny name because I don't really find him to be a twit at all, although I guess the twit is maybe supposed to be for Twitter. I don't know. It's Baseball Twit. Definitely check out his site, hallofstats.com, which is just amazing and awesome. And you can actually also follow Hall of Stats itself um, on Twitter at Hall of Stats or follow its RSS feed or however you like to, to follow blogs. You can follow Dan McCloskey on Twitter at underscore left field. So that's an underscore followed by the word left field. And his blog is at left-field.blogspot.com. Lastly, thanks again to BaseballReference.com for sponsoring us. Um, hopefully we've convinced you in the value of signing up for a Play Index subscription. It's um, really just like unbelievable amount of interesting stuff and fun stuff you can find. And uh, I've spent, I don't even know how many hours over the last seven years or so uh, working with that. Um, so to sign up, you go to BaseballReference.com slash Play Index, and uh, both Baseball Reference and Play Index have hyphens in between the two words. So check that out. And after you sign in with a free account, you could just sign in with Facebook or just sign up super quick for a free account there. There's no information they want, just a username and password. Um, then you would click Subscribe in all capital letters on the toolbar near the top. And here's the cool part. If you enter coupon code HHS, that's just three letters, HHS, which obviously stands for High Heat Stats, you'll get $3 off your subscription, and, and we'll actually get some support for this podcast. Now, it's a great gift for Father's Day, which is coming right up. If you've got a special guy in your life who's a dad, maybe your spouse or your own dad, or maybe you yourself, um, you can ask for it as a gift even for yourself. You'll save three bucks in the process and uh, have year-long access to a pretty cool tool that's out there. Anyway, uh, thanks very much for listening to the podcast, and be lucky. to keep it somewhat clean. Can I say Yankees? Yes. I don't let my kids say that. I would prefer you not to say Yankees suck, <laughs> which I'm so tired of hearing living here in Boston. Um, but but you may say Yankees. You may not, however, say A-Rod. <laughs> no. No, I'm kidding. There were 8.14 errors per game in 1874. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Tell Bobby Matthews about it, man. Oh. <laughs> I thought we were supposed to be drunk for this. Wasn't that what we had said? <laughs> Who made that noise? What did it sound like? Wait, that reminds me. How about that's what she said? How many are we allowed? Um, I probably would suggest no. Okay. Um, I was going to say one per glasscock. <laughs> <laughs> glasscock. Glasscock. Glasscock.
Jack Glasscock. 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 Pebbly Jack Glasscock. 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 Um, I think it's fair to say that Adam clearly loves him some Glasscock.